name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 148, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 2 Kings 6 through 7, Hosea 4 through 7, and Psalm 103. 2 Kings 6. The company of the prophets said to Elijah, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, where each of us can get a pole, and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my lord, he cried, it was borrowed. The man of God asked, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on this side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had said. Elisha told them, This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked. There they were, inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them, and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. 
As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord the king. The king replied, If the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor, from the wine press. Then he asked her, What's the matter? She answered, This woman said to me, Give up your son so we may eat him today, and tomorrow we eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, Give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. As he went along the wall, the people looked and they saw that under his robes he had sackcloth on his body. He said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. The king sent a messenger ahead, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head? Look when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him? While he was still talking to them, the messenger came down to him. The king said, This disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Elisha replied, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel had hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, What we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gate, keepers and told them we went into the Aramean camp and no one was there not a sound of anyone only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were the gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace the king got up in the night and said to his officers i will tell you what the Arameans have done to us they know we are starving so they have left the camp to hide in the countryside thinking they will surely come out and then we will take them alive and get into the city. One of his officers answered, have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their plight will be like that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like all these Israelites who are doomed. So let us send them to find out what happened. So they elected two chariots with their horses and they King sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, go and find out what happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan, and they found the whole road strewn with clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. 
So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a seah of the finest flour sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. Now the king had put the officers on whose arm he leaned in charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died. Just as the man of God had foretold when the king came down to his house, it happened as the man of God had said to the king, About this time tomorrow, a seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer had said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? The man of God had replied, You will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. And that is exactly what happened to him. For the people trampled him in the gateway, and he died. Hosea 4 Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bonds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. But let no one bring a charge, let no one accuse another, for your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests, because you have ignored the law of your God. I also will ignore your children. The more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution but not flourish because they have deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution. Old wine and new wine take away their understanding. My people consult a wooden idol and a divine's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. They sacrifice on the mountaintops and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth, where the shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law to adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they turn to prostitution, nor your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery, because the men themselves consort with harlots and sacrifice with shrine prostitutes. A people without understanding will come to ruin. Though you, Israel, commit adultery, do not let Judah become guilty. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not go up to beth Aven. And do not swear as surely as the Lord lives. The Israelites are stubborn, like a stubborn heifer. How then can the Lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Even when their drinks are gone, they continue their prostitution. Their rulers dearly love shameful ways. A whirlwind will sweep them away, and their sacrifice will bring them shame. Hear this, you priests. Pay attention, you Israelites. Listen, royal house. This judgment is against you. You have been a snare at Mizpah, a net spread out on Tabar. The rebels are knee-deep in slaughter. I will discipline all of them. I know all about Ephraim. Israel is not hidden from me. Ephraim, you have now turned to prostitution. Israel is corrupt. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. 
Israel's arrogance testifies against them. The Israelites, even Ephraim, stumble in their sin. Judah also stumbles with them. When they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find them. He has withdrawn himself from them. They are unfaithful to the Lord. They give birth to illegitimate children. When they celebrate their new moon feasts, he will devour their fields. Sound the trumpet in Gibeah, the horn in Ramah. Raise the battle cry in beth Lead on, Benjamin. Ephraim will be laid waste on the day of reckoning. Among the tribes of Israel, I proclaim what is certain. Judah's leaders are like those who move boundary stones. I will pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. Ephraim is oppressed, trampled in judgment, intent on pursuing idols. I am like a moth to Ephraim, like rot to the people of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. Then I will return to my lair until they have borne their guilt and seek my face and their misery. They will earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind us up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter's rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgment go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I acknowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. As at Adam, they have broken the covenant. They were unfaithful to me, therefore. Gilead is a city of evildoers, stained with footprints of blood. As martyrs lie in ambush for a victim, so do bands of priests. They murder on the road of Shechem, carry out their wicked schemes. I have seen a horrible thing in Israel. There Ephraim is given to prostitution. Israel is defiled. Also for you, Judah, a harvest is appointed. Whenever I would restore the fortunes of my people, whenever I would heal Israel, the sins of Ephraim are exposed, and the crimes of Samaria revealed. They practice deceit. Thieves break into houses, bandits rob in the streets, but they do not realize that I remember all their evil deeds. Their sins engulf them. They are also before me. They delight the king with their wickedness, the princes with their lies. They are all adulterers, burning like an oven whose fire the baker needs not stir, from the kneading of the dough till it rises." On the day of the festival, our king, the princes, become inflamed with wine, and he joins hands with the mockers. Their hearts are like an oven. They approach him with intrigue. Their passion smolders all night. In the morning, it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven. They devour their rulers. All their kings fall, and none of them call on me. Ephraim mixes with the nations. Ephraim is flat loaf, not turned over. Foreign sap his strength, but he does not realize it. His hair is sprinkled with gray, but he does not notice. Israel's arrogance testifies against him, but despite all this, he does not return to the Lord his God or search for him. Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless, now calling to Egypt, now turning to Assyria, 
When they go, I will throw my net over them. I will pull them down like the birds in the sky. When I hear them flocking together, I will catch them. Woe to them because they have strayed from me. Destruction to them because they have rebelled against me. I long to redeem them, but they speak about me falsely. They do not cry out to me from their hearts, but wail on their beds. They slash themselves, appealing to their gods for grain and new wine, but they turn away from me. I train them and strengthen their arms, but they plot evil against me. They do not turn to the Most High. They are like a faulty bow. Their leaders will fall but the sword because of their insolent words. For this, they will be ridiculed in the land of Egypt. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works in righteousness." And justice for all the oppressed, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angel, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. The story in 2 Kings started with a floating axe. Dr. Kunkel reminded me that iron was rare in Israel. And as we read in 1 Samuel, in the time of King Saul, which may have still been true at this point, the axe must be or was sharpened by the blacksmiths by the Philistines. Ugh, a rare material and a craftsmanship that only your enemy really wielded? Yikes. So Elisha, caring for and helping to rescue this precious tool, with its precious material and skill, was actually quite notable. Then we read about God's insight being shared with the northern kingdom through Elisha to protect them from the Assyrians. Remember, even when the Assyrians came for Elisha, God struck them powerless and made them vulnerable, but showed mercy and released them back to their pagan land as a testament to the universal power of God to more than just the Israelites. Then we don't know when or which kings per se, but there is the telling of the story of the siege on the northern kingdom of Israel's capital city, Samaria. The warfare tactic was starvation. 
We read just how desperate they were, and the king became enraged, sending a messenger to the prophet Elisha, because he viewed this as God's punishment for unfaithfulness, his unfaithfulness. And the prophet Elijah described an unbelievable miracle that was about to happen, and the messenger doesn't believe what God has said through Elisha. The consequence? That messenger will see it happen, but not benefit from it. Dr. Conkle describes how the good news of the miracle came through an unlikely source, four lepers. God caused the Arameans to flee, leaving nearly everything they had behind. Yet, the king thought it was too good to be true, a trick of the enemy. Yet, in desperation, he seems to send what was probably his last remaining healthy horses to investigate. And sure enough, the provision was real. The northern kingdom of Israel, Samaria, was provided for. And while the king, whose responsibility was to keep the people provided for and protected, could not deliver due to his unfaithfulness, yet God delivered and provided for the besieged city. I'm also so amazed that God showed mercy in this story, even when there's no testament to the leader or the people's hearts being repentant or seeking the Lord. The king only sent a messenger to ask for help from the messenger of God, Elisha. And God responded in kind, in generosity, prodigally. And then we read in Hosea how Israel lacked the knowledge and understanding of God. Dr. Mackey points out how the Hebrew word yada means more than information or intellectual knowledge, but personal experiential knowledge, because personal experiential knowledge of God is transformational to our hearts and behaviors. While information or knowing about something is more associative and perhaps aspirational than deeply personal and transformative types of knowledge. I often try to clarify for my students in the early part of a class that information or or Google searching something and knowledge are different things and how I, even as a professor, cannot give or have them upload knowledge. I can give them information. Information can be Google searched or presented, but until that information is moved through discovery by asking questions, making observations, summarizing, analyzing, evaluating, and then moving to experimentation, and I can set up experiences and experimentation and allow for application of that information and knowledge. But until then, it cannot and is not knowledge until, I think it was Dale Atkins, he has a cool TED Talk. He says, knowledge happens when you can retrieve the most suitable information in a given context at the right time and use it to be helpful, to add value or reduce risk. Also consider our very own social media. How many people we know personally versus we think we know them, but we've never met or done life with a person and we only know the story they present and share. We haven't worked together towards a shared purpose with medicals like physical survival and human flourishing on the line. I notice how missions and study abroad experiences, at least in my own life, and then I've run some study abroad, so observing others, bringing people into these close relationships, purpose-driven experiences, yada, personal knowledge based on shared experience where multiple purposes and needs are prioritized and traded off to care for those around us and to follow the mission or the goal. To know God personally and to know of Him are very different things. Most of us know this from our own experience. The people of Israel had pushed God so far out of their lives that they seemed to only remotely know of him, somewhat. How do we avoid this in our own lives? Remember throughout the Pentateuch, remember the story, come close to the details, 
focus on God, His name, putting Him on display and our role in His story, not His role in ours. And we must seek atonement and help others navigate to Jesus for atonement. Intercede in prayer, and we not only speak to God, but we create a space to listen to God, reading His Word, making a space for our hearts to soften and take in His voice, His signal over all the noise of our busy lives, being prodigally generous and needy for the Lord, grateful for all He gives us no matter the circumstance. It all helps us to abide and dwell in a close personal relationship with Him, where truth and transformation are the most likely to be found and fortified in us. Hosea is pointing out to Israel that hypocrisy will never do. Hypocrisy happens when it's about the appearance of sacrifice in our atonement to God, but when our hearts and behaviors break the commandments and practice injustice and unrighteousness. Something interesting about hypocrisy I studied in my dissertation is that it can be intentional and someone can have nefarious intent. But more likely, it's apathy and indifference that gets us to a place of not even realizing the paradox of our own heart and our own behavior. May we all be reflective and willing to hear the Hosea, the messenger from God in our lives, to make corrections to hypocrisy and pursue the Lord with Shema, our whole heart, remembering the story and pursuing Yada, a personal and transformational relationship with the Lord, not just knowing of Him, but knowing Him with our own heart. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.